Chapter 19 It's time. Zelda slowly pushed herself up from her seated position beside Link. Overhead, the sun had finally set, and the moon had risen, lighting the quarry in its monochrome light, giving everything a gray cast. The fire was still warm, however, giving off a small circle of color and light. Link watched her as she walked to her pack, bending down and pulling out the white garment that she wore while in prayer. Her priestess dress. It was a beautifully crafted dress that almost seemed to shine in the silver moonlight. Zelda looked back at him and gave him a solemn look. I'm going to go change. She turned to look at the stone archway that led into the spring and hesitated. She bit her lip. We'll just go around those rocks over there. Link watched her disappear behind the rock, frowning. He stood, stretching and wincing at the soreness in his lower back. He hadn't wanted to move until she did, but sitting against the rock for so long had been uncomfortable. He began to put away some of the cooking implements that he'd used. A rustle of cloth alerted him to Zelda's presence behind him, and he spun, seeing her carefully pick her way across the stony ground. Gone were her comfortable travel boots, trousers, and long sleeves. In their place were thin strapped sandals, an ornate strapless dress held in place by a blue and gold belt, and golden jewelry around her neck and wrists. Her hair had been shaken free of its braids and tucked behind her long, pointed ears. A lump formed in Link's throat, and he took in her appearance. She was so beautiful, yet so very wrong. He had grown to hate seeing her in this dress. Clearing his throat, Link bent down to pick up the Master Sword in its scabbard, though he did not slip it into his back. Its weight was perhaps too much at the moment, he saw her eyes follow the sword's movement, a reminder of her own failure. I can go with you, if you'd like, he said, his voice too loud in the suddenly silent night. Even the fire's crackling had died down. She met his eyes and nodded. Turning together, they both walked to the stone archway. They walked into the dark hall and into a circular chamber with natural rock walls. There was no ceiling allowing the natural moonlight to filter down, illuminating the room. Ivy grew in long vines down the walls, crisscrossing and clumping together to give the spring a look that suggested that it just happened to be formed like that naturally. Several waterfalls splashed down into the pool of water that filled the center of the room. Link could have believed that the room was just a naturally formed pond, were it not for the stone archway they passed through upon entering the room, and the double lines of broken pillars outlining an ancient walkway to a large statue of the goddess Hylia in the center of the pool. The statue was illuminated by the moon overhead, giving it an ethereal cast. They both stepped onto the stone platform that faced the statue. Zelda wrapped her arms around her torso, hugging herself. It was a cool night, despite the early autumn warmth of the day. The water would almost certainly be cold, however. Link looked quietly around the room keeping an eye out for any threat, 
I could have been lying in wait for them. He finally turned to face her and inform her that she should be safe, but then he saw her expression. Anticipation. Worry. Fear. He saw no hope in those eyes. Gripping the hilt of the Master Sword tightly in a white-knuckled grip, his mind desperately cast about for some way to ease her burden. There must have been something he could do. An idea struck him, and he stood up straighter. Wait here. I need to get something. Think. What? Just hang on. Ling didn't give her a chance to reply, and hurried back out of the spring, leaving the Master Sword leaning against the archway. He went straight for her bag, hoping that she did not mind him digging through her things. He emerged a moment later smiling, and hurried back into the spring of power. Zelda gave him a confused look as he held up her Sheikah slate. She usually did not go anywhere without having this device strapped to her hip, taking pictures of just about every mundane thing that she could see. I'm not really sure how the Sheikah slate is going to help me in my prayers, she said, giving him a skeptical expression. It's not to help you with your prayers, Link said, adopting a tone of confidence. I want to take a picture of you. Zelda frowned at him, and then looked down at herself in her dress. You want to take my picture? She looked back up at him, incredulous. Now? Well, yes. Link, I don't think that now is really the best time for that. I need to get started on my prayers. She looked back toward the goddess statue. I already waited too long as it is. What, do you think the goddess is on a tight schedule? Link. Look, let me take a photograph of you for once. It would be good to have a picture of you right before your powers awaken. Who knows how you'll look after. Zelda opened her mouth, but hesitated, meeting his eyes. She looked between his face and the Sheikah slate in his hands. A moment later she frowned. Wait, what do you mean by that? How I'll look after. What does it even look like, having your powers be awakened? If you're the incarnation of the goddess, then who is to say that your appearance isn't going to change? Maybe you'll be glowing, I don't know. The corners of her lips rose slightly. You've seen Impus Tapestry. That did not really look like you. So, who knows what you'll look like. I'm still waiting for my hair to turn red. Zelda snorted with suppressed laughter and shook her head. You do not place much value in art, do you? I am mostly valued for my abilities to hit things with a sword, so no. I would say that you are valued for more than that. An uneasy silence fell between them. Zelda's cheeks grew red. After a moment, Link cleared his throat. I'm going to take your picture now. He lifted the Sheikah slate, pressing the camera room and finding Zelda on the screen. She took a step back, smoothing out her dress and reaching up to tuck a loose strand of hair behind her ear. She lifted her chin, and after a moment smiled, though the smile did not completely reach her eyes. Link pressed the button on the screen and a moment later, the image of Zelda had been frozen in place on the Sheikah slate, softly illuminated by the moonlight overhead. As he gazed down at the image, he heard the swish of fabric in front of him. When he looked up, he saw that Zelda had turned again to look at the statue. He slowly lowered the Sheikah slate, looking at her back. He found that he did not have any other words to say. He had tried to cheer her up, to give her some hope of success, 
but what little he'd accomplished seemed to have been taken away, just as quickly. Finally she spoke. I am going to begin my prayers. Link exhaled, turning to walk back out through the stone archway, as he had done at the Spring of Courage, waiting just outside the stone serpent's maw to give her privacy. I'll be just out here, if you need me. No, she said, stopping him. He looked back at her, confused. Zelda turned her face just slightly towards him. Please stay. Link hesitated only a moment before nodding. He clipped the Sheikah slate to his belt and retrieved the Master Sword from where he'd left it, taking up a sentinel position at the edge of the porch. Behind him, he heard Zelda slowly enter the pool of water. Not much had changed in the last 100 years. Link slowly stepped through the outer arch, walking through the stone cave and entering the spring through the inner arch. As he gazed around at what must have been a beautiful place, he was only struck by how broken it was. This place fell into ruin long before the Calamity. His eyes met those of the stone goddess. What had it been like for her that night, to stare up at those lifeless eyes and pray for a power that Link knew would not awaken for some time after? Memories began to play in his mind, unbidden. He didn't want to see this. It was too private. Taking a step forward, he entered the water, gasping as the chill water penetrated his boots and pants almost immediately. He was going, however, wading through the depths to where she had stood so many years ago. The full moon had moved across the dark sky overhead in the hours since Zelda began her prayers. Link stood at the edge of the pool, hands folded over the pommel of his sword, eyes forward, and looking through the archway into the dark quarry just beyond. He could hear her forming the words at the end of her prayer behind him, a quiet plea for the goddess to awaken the slumbering power hidden within. His body ached from remaining in this position for so long, and he could only imagine how she felt. The water he expected was cold, and the cool breeze that swept down into the chamber certainly did not help matters. Zelda must have been miserable, yet she continued to pray, so he ignored the aches and continued his silent watch. I come seeking help regarding this power that has been handed down over time. He heard Zelda beginning her prayer anew behind him and winced. Prayer will awaken my power to seal Ganon away, or so I've been told all my life. That was new. Frowning, Link glanced over his shoulder at Zelda. She still stood in the water before the statue of Hylia, hands clasped over her breasts. Though the water only reached her hips, her hair was long enough that it just barely brushed the pool. As he watched, she slowly unfolded her arms, easing them down to her sides, her loose fingers dangling in the water. Yet Grandmother heard them, the voices from the spirit realm. Zelda's shoulders slumped, and she looked down. And Mother said that her own power would develop within me. But I don't hear or feel anything. She looked back up at the stone visage of the goddess, raising her hands in supplication. Father has told me time and time again. He always says, Quit wasting your time playing at being a scholar. She paused, and Link held his breath. Curse you! Zelda slapped her fist down into the water, bowing her head. 
I've spent every day of my life dedicated to prayer. I've pleaded to the spirits tied to the ancient gods, and still the holy powers have proven deaf to my devotion. A lump formed in Link's throat as Zelda wrapped her arms around herself. He could see her trembling now. Whether from cold or emotion, he didn't know. How much longer would she subject herself to this agony? It hurt Link just to see her go through this. What must it feel like to her? Please, just tell me. What is it? Zelda only hugged herself tighter, curling up while still standing. Her hair slipped around her shoulders to hang loosely over her face, golden locks dipping into the water. What's wrong with me? A bolt of lightning shot down Link's back. He stiffened, eyes widening, releasing the Master Sword and allowing it to clatter to the ground. He turned, stepping into the pool. It was like ice. They may as well have been in the Hebrew Mountains, for how cold it was, and she had stayed in there for hours. Startled out of her misery, Zelda whirled to face him. Her skin was pale, her lips a shade of blue. Link, what are you- You've been in here long enough. Come on, let's go start the fire up again and get you warm. No, I must keep praying, Zelda said, shaking her head. Link approached through the water, breaking the silence of the night with his loud sloshing. Zelda's eyes were wide and her voice lacked any real conviction. Link, if I have any hope of awakening my powers, I must continue to entreat the goddess. Surely she is merely waiting to see proof of my devotion. Zelda, if the goddess still needs proof of your devotion, then she is as blind as that statue. His voice contained a surprising amount of bite, even to him. Zelda looked taken aback, glancing towards the statue in horror. Link took a deep breath, moderating his tone. I'm sorry. What I meant is that I'm sure the goddess values both your devotion and your sense of self-preservation. You're going to freeze if you stay here any longer. You need some rest, too. You're exhausted. Link held out a hand to her. Come on. You've done all you can tonight. You can try again tomorrow if you want. Zelda looked at him, and then at his hand, biting her lip. She glanced once more back towards the statue of Hylia, then sighed. Bowing her head, she reached down and took Link's hand, allowing him to lead her out of the spring. Link stood in the water, looking up at the statue of Hylia. Truth be told, he still didn't know much about the religion that Princess Zelda, and presumably, he subscribed to. He knew nothing about Hylia, though he saw her statues often enough to know that both the Sheikah and Zora still worshipped her. After experiencing that memory, however, he wasn't sure he wanted to know more. Why? he asked, looking up at the statue. Why make her experience that? He could still hear the pain in her voice. He could see her tremble. Had she done something wrong? Was she made unworthy somehow? Link's expression contorted into a scowl, the emotions of his memory mixing with those of the present day. Because the way I see it, all of this is your fault. Zelda, Princess Zelda, worked so hard all her life to awaken her powers, but you refused to grant them to her. Impa told me her powers only awakened after everything else was lost. The champions were dead. I had fallen. But waiting until the last moment, you doomed us all 
Blink pointed in the general direction of the castle. And now, she's there, waiting for me to somehow pull this off. He thought back to the fight in the Divine Beast. The creature had nearly killed him, would have killed him, if it weren't for Mipha's lingering power. How could he fare against the others without Mipha by his side? She had given him her powers, but he had no true concept of how to use them. The one time he tried to use them, after getting scraped by a tree that he rode past in Zora's domain, he had been unable to get them to work. So what was he supposed to do? It wasn't her fault, he said, his thoughts turning back to Princess Zelda. The memory had been so raw, leaving him feeling drained after witnessing it. She blamed herself, just like I've been blaming myself since waking. But the fault doesn't lie in either of us, does it? He frowned up at the goddess statue, as silent now as it was 100 years ago. Finally, he turned away in disgust, sloshing back through the pool to the stone landing. Once back in the quarry, he set about to make a small fire using the various sticks and branches that he found lying around, likely blown into the quarry from storms. He was eager to get back to the ancient tech lab, but he would prefer to ride with dry boots at the very least. The sun was at its peak when he arrived back at Nukasudo. His entrance to the village was greeted more warmly than before, at least, though only a few of the villagers were present, as most were out working in the small fields. He made his way up the hill to the seaside cliff that the old lighthouse sat upon. As he approached, he noticed that Robbie was outside, goggles pulled down over his eyes as he looked critically at a glowing spherical object. He was standing beside the head of a guardian that was lying on its side, a compartment had been opened there, revealing a shadowy interior. His footsteps caused Robbie to look up and around, spotting Link. He raised a hand, waving emphatically. Just in time! I've been tinkering with this all night! He held up the sphere for Link to see. This is a Guardian Core. It provides power to the Guardians, as well as houses their core functions. Speaking with you last night gave me some new ideas, so I'm going to conduct an experiment. You should stay! Link shrugged, hardly desiring any questions about where he had been, so he figured it wouldn't hurt to watch Robbie's experiment. Good, Robbie said, growing excited. Then you stand right there, yes, there. A little further to the right, my right, right there. Link obediently moved until he was standing right before the inert guardian. Robbie grinned in a slightly disconcerting way and plunged the guardian's core into the compartment. It took him a moment before he got it set in its place, but a moment later he closed the compartment and did something else on the bottom of the Guardian's head. Suddenly, the Guardian's eye turned on, shining with brilliantly blue light. Link took a step backwards, feeling the back of his neck break out in a cold sweat. The eye looked around before settling on Link. The Sheikah markings around the base of the head suddenly flashed with red light, and the blue of the eye began to shine brighter. Link could hear a hum originating from the Guardian, it steadily grew stronger. Robbie? Link said, his own voice rising in pitch. His heart began to race, and his palms grew immediately sweaty. He reached back, unsheathing the sword from his back. No matter where he moved, the Guardian's eye tracked him, growing brighter and brighter. The hum kept getting louder as well. Robbie! The Guardian's eye dimmed black again, and the red lights on its head faded away. Link watched the Guardian warily, 
waiting for it to turn back on and attack. The attack never came, however, and Link could see now that the door to the compartment had been reopened. Robbie pulled the Guardian Core back out, inspecting its glowing surface. Link could see that some of the previously orange lights on its surface had turned red. Corrupted, Robbie said as he turned the sphere over in his hand. Though it is not as complete a corruption as before, that is something. It was about to attack me, Link said, walking around the base of the body to face him. He really just wanted to be away from the eye, in case it turned back on. Well, of course it was. That's why I asked you to stand there. It is difficult to detect the corruption. Unless it spots a target. And since the original corruption gave the Guardians an overriding command to find and eliminate you and Princess Zelda, I felt certain that having you in its sight would give me some additional data with which to study Ganon's corruption. That's great, Robbie. I'm glad I could be of help, Link said, trying hard not to feel irritated with the scientist. He wasn't so different than Pura in this way. Even after 100 years, they both love science for the sake of science. Good. I'll let you know if I do any more experiments. For now, though, I believe Jaren was hoping to speak with you. There is a shrine not far from here, so she is hoping that you can access it. Link thought that she might want to go down into it, much as Pura had and grimaced. In his experience, shrines were far from safe places. Perhaps he could convince her to wait outside while he cleared it of any threats. He asked Robbie for the directions, and began walking along the edge of the cliff, noting various guardian parts arranged in mangled piles along the way. Far below, the waves crashed against the rocky cliff face. Link glanced over, seeing a series of jagged rocks jutting up from the dark waters. He looked out to the ocean, spotting a few distant islands, but no ships. Did Eileen sail? He tried to focus his mind on the thought, but came up empty. Certainly the lighthouse must have served a purpose in the past, though, didn't it? He wondered if anyone sailed these waters now, after the calamity. He continued on his way around a small grove of trees until his destination came into view. A Sheikah shrine lay half-buried by a mound of earth and grass. Jaren stood at its base, several pieces of paper in hand. When Link came into view, she smiled broadly at him, looking every bit of child excited by a sweet tree. She's definitely going to demand I take her down, Link thought, somewhat glumly. The shrine did not end up being as complex as some of the others Link had visited, and it, thankfully, lacked anything that overtly tried to kill them. The trial within had forced Link to rely heavily on the Magnesis rune, which had fascinated Jaren, though not nearly as much as the sheer scope and majesty of the shrine had. In an effort to keep Jaren from sketching every detail of the shrine as they progressed, Link took photographs with a Sheikah slate, promising to let her examine them and make sketches after. Once they reappeared several hours later, standing on the circular platform just outside of the shrine, Jaren immediately set about writing her experiences on her paper. She apparently could not wait to get back to the lighthouse, lest she forget any small detail. Smiling faintly and thinking of the photograph he had of Robbie, Pura, and Princess Zelda, all dirty but thoroughly pleased with themselves, Link walked alone back to the ancient tech lab. Robbie had apparently retreated back inside with the coming evening. Link knocked before slowly pushing the door open, looking around. When he didn't immediately see Robbie, he stepped inside. Robbie? He received no immediate response, but now that he was inside, 
he could see a subtle change in the room. The statue in the center, the thing called the ancient oven, seemed to be more active than it had been the night before. Its eye slits glowed more brightly than before, and Link noticed a new line of blue that crossed the body, just beneath the segment that made its head. The rings on either side of its head spun slowly, and Link noticed a soft hum originating from it. Robbie? Are you here? Link called again, frowning at the ancient oven. It was trembling slightly as well. Hesitantly, Link reached out and touched it with his finger, finding the black surface to be warm. Hey. Hey. Familiar name missing. A voice suddenly emitted from the ancient oven, causing Link to jump back in alarm. The voice was strange and synthetic-sounding, speaking with a strange monotone pitch that Link couldn't determine was supposed to be a male or female voice. Other than the voice, the oven hadn't changed or moved, and it continued to hum softly. Please wait. Your... It beeped in word for a moment. Ancient sword is still in the works. Link heard footsteps coming from the floor above him, and he took another step back, looking up at the ceiling. Robbie? The footsteps paused. Link wasn't quite sure if he wanted to ask the question or not. Is your ancient oven supposed to be talking? Oh, don't mind her, Cherry is just glad to be working again, Ravi's voice called from the room above. A moment later, Link heard his footsteps on the stairs and he emerged, holding a basket full of what looked like pieces of scrap metal. Cherry? Ravi swore and looked around, eyes widening beneath his goggles. He apparently did not find what he feared, however, and sighed in relief. I mean the ancient oven. Cherry is an old name that she used to have. Robbie continued down the rest of the stairs before sighing heavily, letting the basket fall to the ground. He groaned, placing a hand on his back and stretching. When he stopped stretching, he smiled toothily at Link. I'm glad you woke up before this old sack of flesh gave out. How old are you anyway? Link said, curious. Robbie grinned at him, taking a deep breath before striking a strange pose. Legs spread, one hand on his hip, with the other pointed into the air. Why, I just turned 136. I look good for my age, don't I? Is it normal for Sheikah to live that long? Link said, thinking about the shriveled Sheikah in the shrines. Did Sheikah live as long as Zora? Oh, it's not uncommon for full-blooded Sheikah to live until 150 or so. Some live to be older. Robbie bent down to pick back up the basket of scrap with a grunt, walking over to the nearest desk, lifting the basket onto it. We live longer than you highlands. He paused for a moment before looking back at Link, though I think you'll probably outlive all of us old Chica. Before Link could express any doubts about that, the door to the lab burst open, and Jaren rushed inside, hurrying to her desk. Robbie, you'll never believe what I saw. She launched into a brief but detailed narrative of their journey through the shrine, which Robbie only seemed to pay half a mind to, as he scribbled some of his own notes down on a piece of paper on his desk. Link watched the couple for a time, before turning and walking slowly around the room. He came across a portrait that hung off the wall, above the small kitchen, that showed the two of them, along with another man who looked to be an adolescent. Their son, he assumed, Rante. Robbie, do you know what this means? Jaren said, her voice excited. Link glanced back just in time to see her look around at her husband, only to find him muttering to himself as he inspected what looked like a guardian's eye. Jaren picked up a piece of chalk and threw it across the room, 
lightly hitting Robbie on the shoulder. He gave a start, looking around with wide eyes. Oh! No, what does it mean? Apparently satisfied by his renewed interest, Jaren continued, her expression intent. I think it means that the Sheikah Shrines are not entirely located in our realm. For the shrine to exist beneath us, it would require the entire hillside to be completely hollow. And I was not even able to see a true ceiling. She fished within a small pocket just inside of her coat, pulling out a small piece of rock. However, it is a physical place in reality. See? I brought this from within the shrine. I was able to break it off one of the walls. When had she even done that? Link never recalled seeing her chipping rock off of a wall. Robbie's interest peaked now, and he walked over, taking the stone from Jaren and lowering his goggles over his eyes, inspecting it. So what are you theorizing, dear? He asked as he turned the stone over in his hand. I'm not entirely sure, but I think Princess Zelda's earliest theories might have been right. Link's breath caught at the mention of her name. He took a step towards Jaren and Robbie now. Princess Zelda's theories. Yes, she theorized that the Sheikah Shrines existed in an alternate plane of reality to our own, in something that ancient texts referred to as the Sacred Realm. Jaren shook her head, looking amazed. Her theories about them were shockingly accurate. It is actually difficult to believe that she never stepped foot into one. She didn't? Nope, Robbie said, holding the stone back out to Jaren. She tried to get into them several times, but she never could get that Sheikah Slate to work. Then how did she know anything about them? Link asked, frowning. How else? Robbie said. She studied. The old castle had thousands of books and ancient texts in its library, and I think that Princess Zelda might have read each and every one of them. Still, though, details of ancient Sheikah technology are scarce, usually only fragments that have somehow survived the millennia through imperfect copies. She worked with our scholars to try to unearth every fragment she could, though. Oh, to have access to that library, Jaren said, sighing. What additional secrets might we find hidden away? What happened to it? We're not sure, Robbie said, frowning. No one dares to approach the castle any longer, not with the calamity stuff lying around it, not to mention the guardians. A chill ran down Link's spine at the word. So there are still living guardians in the castle as well? Guardians aren't alive, Robbie admonished, looking at Link with an expression that he thought might have actually been discussed. They're machines. Constructs. Functioning, I mean. There are functioning guardians within the castle. Oh, yes, Robbie turned in his seat, picking up the inert guardian eye. And they fire on anyone they can get their sights on. Link grimaced at the unpleasant image this conjured up in his head. He would have to face those guardians eventually, even if he managed to free all four divine beasts. Perhaps Robbie's research would turn up something useful in taking control of them again, or at least disabling them. The ancient oven suddenly chimed merrily, and a compartment on its front just beneath the new seam of blue light opened. Steam hissed out of the opening. Ah, Robbie said, hopping off his chair and hurrying over to it. He reached in, smiling, and pulled out what looked like a strangely designed sword hilt with a lopsided crossguard. Rather than a blade, it had a pair of strange pieces of Sheikah-designed metal that extended out about as long as the hilt. The metal pieces were connected to a circular piece at the end. Here! Robbie handed Link the strange object, and he took it, turning it over in his hands. He found a small switch, reminiscent of that on his broken guardian sword, and pressed it. The thinner of the two metal pieces whipped up until it formed a much longer rod 
with the other piece. The circular piece that connected appeared to be a hinge of sorts. With a brilliant flash, a glowing blue blade of energy hummed to life along one edge of the rod, extending just past it to the end with a point. Link exhaled slowly as he examined the sword, noting that it glowed with a brighter light than his guardian sword had. It had more weight to it as well, with the metal rod providing some counterbalance to the hilt, which Link greatly appreciated. Overall, it felt sturdier than the guardian sword had. He thumbed the switch off, and the blade disappeared. The rod folded in half again, returning to its inactive state. Link looked at Robbie and smiled broadly. It's perfect, Robbie. Well, of course it is, Robbie said smugly. I made it. Jaren snorted in playful derision, which caused Robbie to whirl around and give his wife an irritated look. We made it, Jaren said, smiling with the same smugness that Robbie had, in case you had forgotten in your old age. You assisted with its refinement, yes, but I crafted the ancient oven long before you ever were introduced into my life. Link couldn't help himself but to smile at the continued banter between Robbie and Jaren. Though there appeared to be a large gap in ages between them, they clearly cared for each other. He wondered at how long they had been married. Decades, most likely, considering their adult son. Absently, he thought back to his memory of Princess Zelda. They had bantered like this. Very well, Robbie finally said with an air of exasperation after Jaren made another retort. He looked happy, though, as he turned to Link. We made it. Based entirely on my designs and decades of prior work, but yes, we made it. And I think you will find that to be far more durable than those guardian swords. Thank you, Link said, as he slipped the new sword into his belt. Is there anything else you might be able to provide me? The creature in Varuta was... He grimaced. Difficult to overcome. Well, I've been attempting to create some armor that should prove resilient to Guardian's Blast. Really? Link said, eyes widening. If he had that, then perhaps his future excursions into the castle would not be nearly as suicidal as he feared it might be. Well, yes, Robbie said, expression falling some. But it is not quite where it needs to be yet. As it stands now, it can either be light and largely ineffective against Guardian's fire, or it can protect you as long as you don't need to actually move anywhere very quickly. At Link's confused expression, he continued, I have found that to achieve the level of protection needed, the entire armor set would likely weigh over 300 pounds. Link grimaced, and Robbie nodded. So you see why it still needs some work. Still, though, I have some ideas. It will be my primary focus now that you've awoken. He turned, walking over to a small chest that had been placed against a wall. However, in the meantime, he said as he bent down and opened it. He stood back up straight, with several thin rods, with fletching at one end. Link thought that they were arrows, but they were unlike any arrows he ever recalled seeing. The opposite end was covered in a thick device of sorts. It actually looked a lot like the two metal rods on Link's sword, though shorter in length. Robbie held the small bundle of arrows out to Link. There were five of them. Each of them was heavier than a normal arrow, and definitely weighed to the front. I call them ancient arrows. They are just like your sword, only these will activate when drawn on a bow. He winked at Link. The trigger mechanism is in their knocks. Pretty clever, huh? Link turned one over, looking at the small notch in it, just beneath its fletching. He couldn't see anything that looked like the switch on his sword, but he trusted that Robbie knew what he was talking about. What will they do? Link asked, thinking to the shock arrows that he carried. 
besides kill just about anything they come in contact with, Robbie said, smiling broadly and placing his hands on his hips. When they strike a target, they will burst with the energy of a guardian's beam. I am not certain if they will destroy a fully functioning guardian with one strike, but they will greatly damage it. I think you'll find them to be effective against these creatures within the Divine Beasts. Link looked up at Robbie, smiling in gratitude. Thank you. Truly. After facing the last one, I didn't know how I was going to destroy the others. These should help. I'm sorry that I can't provide more. Had I known you would be coming, I would have been spending the last few months creating as many ancient weapons as I could. I've been trying to perfect a new type of bow that will be capable of shooting the ancient arrows as straight and true as any other arrow, but it's not quite ready. I do not know when you will be ready to be able to make your way back here, but I will set to crafting as many of the weapons as I can. Whatever I can provide to help you save Princess Delta. That's not a problem, Link said. Now that I've activated the Sheikah Shrine, I can use the Sheikah Slate to teleport back here at will. The explosion of questions that erupted after this statement startled Link, though, in hindsight, he probably should have expected it. He did not emerge from the lighthouse until well into that night, long after both Robbie and Jaren had experimented with the teleportation rune, and Jaren had a chance to make sketches of the shrine from the photographs that Link took. <laughs>